Good morning. Hi. I have to say, I mean, that was just really nice. Just having the intro play as normal, the way we want it to. Easy. Like first time. (laughs) (laughs) Work, no stress. Um, Lovely. How are we? We're we're here. We're here. We've made it. We've made it. (laughs) We're awake. We've made it. Hey, I have two things to say. One. We are officially the same length as a very terrible Netflix original. This is our 10th episode. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Happy 10th happy, happy episode. Yeah. I feel proud. I'm excited <laughs> about that. Um, oh, yeah, I thought that was really cool. I was like, okay. Hey, it's cool. Netflix and be like, hey, would you mind if we just talked and you, like, put it on Netflix? I, I feel like we're pushing it with Star letting us do that. I don't know if Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> gonna let us we're very grateful that star allow us to do this and like honestly we're walking it like <laughs> i'm just saying go big or go home that's true that is true yeah um so what's been going on um not much we're getting we're getting geared up for exams we're getting geared up for finals i only Are have we? well i am i only have one oh. one more deadline and then i'm into exams yeah same actually When's your deadline? Uh, well, it is technically Sunday, but we're fingers crossed going to try and get it for Thursday. But that's mm, oh, nice. yeah. tricky. I've got one in for Tuesday of next week, but fingers crossed going to head it in tomorrow. Tomorrow? Oh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Someone's doing deadlines early. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Oh, well, it hurts my feelings to this day, actually. Yeah. So... Just in our friendship, I'm a bit more um, last minute and Laura's a little bit more organized. And often when we were doing the same subjects, uh, she'll be like, have you started that essay? And like, yeah, and she's like, oh my God, you've started it. I'm not even like, oh my goodness. And she's like, appalled. Because <laughs> if I've started it and she's not started it, oh my God. Like, I got to get a real one. Well, I think, I actually think to be fair, our dynamic has changed significantly since online learning began. Yes. I yes. used to be quite onto it. I used to generally have done it before you. But then I moved back to Australia and I forgot that uni was the thing and stopped trying. Well, not stopped trying, but just stopped being organised. And in the opposite um, way, my yeah. life has gone so crazy that if I don't do it <laughs> organised and on time, it's not happening. Yeah. Um, See, that's my thing is I could just like, I'm like, what day is it due? Cool. I'll block out that entire day and I'll do it then. <laughs> Doesn't yeah, you work. do that a lot. There's been a lot of like yeah. texts, like, "Can you proofread right now? <laughs> like, right now, immediately." The other <laughs> night, oh something. my god, the classics essay the other night was the most stressful <laughs> thing of my life. We got to a point where Laura, literally, I mean, it was a joke, but was it a joke? Where she said, "If I sent you my login, could you just like fix it and then just hand it in for me? Because <laughs> I don't think I've got the energy. <laughs> I wanted to go to bed." <laughs> To be fair, it was a um, 2 a.m. hand in for you. That's not that's yeah. not nice. It wasn't that nice. And normally, I mean, I've had a few of them, but normally I have them in by like 9 p.m. Mm. and I can just move on with it. But this one I wasn't super happy with, so I was like, no, I have to have my hands on this for as long as possible. Yeah. Just to know I've done everything I can. But anyway, anyway, moving on because moving swiftly on. <laughs> what are you reading this week? Um still nothing I'm actually I'm still reading Little Woman I'm picking Little Woman up and putting it down it's a nice one to pick up and put down because it is kind of like self-contained chapters and it's all very nice Um, hey Laura 
I think that'd be a great one to talk about maybe. Mm. Mm. If only we knew someone who like knew loads yeah. about Little Women and was free mm. next week. Yeah. Mm. Might start the search. You know, we'll work it out. Maybe. <laughs> Applications <laughs> are open. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we tell who's listening live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I would also like, I just want to say, for anyone who saw that photo on the Instagram, recently posted I was first of all I was 13 and I'm still damn proud of that outfit but I want to say that photo was taken after the night had finished and it was a big night out so the look isn't still all there I'm in a dressing gown at that point but the dress was immaculate and I'm so sad I don't have a photo of the dress I had like stuck like Levissa butterflies over the entire like dress I looked fantastic and everyone I else came say, as like Disney princesses and I rocked up as Effie Drinkin. No, I think it looks amazing. Because I when I went to go see Catching Fire, me and my friend Imogen, we were like so cool and we dressed up as like Countess and Prim, but it looked awful. Like it looked it just looked bad. Whereas that actually looks good. <laughs> like I can tell if we were at the same screening, we would have been like, who is she? And why is she looking better than us? I really don't like that. <laughs> I had to clarify, I wasn't going to a Hunger Games anything. <laughs> this was my year eight social. <laughs> oh, oh, the girls. That's really cool. <laughs> you know those Disney princess costumes, but they're like cropped, like, yeah. you know, cropped at, the, cropped at the midriff and their short skirts. Like all the cool girls showed up in that. And I was like, hello, I am Effie <laughs> Trinket. And everyone's like, who? Hunger, Effie. Hunger Games. Hunger Games. Like, thing <laughs> really cool film i was originally I, gonna go as katniss and then i realized if you go as katniss in like the normal world you just look like you have bad fashion sense yeah yeah you do look i used to wear a mockingjay pin to school every day i was that girl and i didn't get we many compliments that we were not friends i didn't get many compliments <laughs> i'm gonna be really honest with you <laughs> not everyone thought i was really cool and i don't know why I'm confused. I can't mm, can't figure it out. But, uh, oh yeah, full disclosure, I looked really cool. Yeah, I I'm one of the, I didn't. Mum used to always be like, "When you grow up, everyone will realize that you were cool." I'm like, "Thanks, mum." And now they we have happen. now we have how many? How many? All right, let's just let's just chat. And let's find out how many. We have seven people got. listening, and they all think you're cool. So one of them is my mum. <laughs> she's been there since the start she's you been there from the, the very one. beginning <laughs> oh god uh, yeah so I really wish I'd progressed since I was 13 but I'm still here talking about yeah. the Hunger Games yeah. you guys that everyone like hadn't gotten onto that that's our topic for this evening the morning. Yeah, I feel like we didn't actually say that did we no we never asked <laughs> it and honestly this has probably happened a few times where we just kind of start chatting yeah. and we end up on the Hunger Games and it's not and really, always our topic <laughs> <laughs> but that's our topic for this evening Laura now Laura and I have a little bit of mm, I want to say difference of opinion but that's not right but Laura loved Twilight and I love the Hunger Games like they're our like personal well, okay, novels I actually have to point you out on this yeah. one growing up I loved Harry Potter the only thing that even came close to my Harry Potter thing was the Hunger Games Twilight growing up actually wasn't that big of a thing for me it's only since I got like older and everyone started to make fun of it that was like fuck you guys I'm gonna I'm gonna love Twilight and you can't do anything so I would like to clarify that 
at, at age 13, Hunger Games was much more writing than Twilight. But go on. I, just, I couldn't live without being dead. And that's totally fair. I think a rephrase. Yeah. Edward Cullen to you is what Peter is to me. Yes, yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's correct. Cool. And we've had that's many kind discussions of what about what at. this says about our emotional well-being. And none of them are good. <laughs> and we're not going to delve into them at all. Moving on. <laughs> to be fair, okay, mine is much more worrying than yours. Yours is very normal. Peter is a good yeah. boy. He's a lovely he, boy. I mean, you know what? Let's stop this. He is smart. He's, mm-hmm. I was going to say he's smart and intelligent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's why you need him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's super smart. He's super kind. And, like, we'll get into it later, but he just, like, the world's so awful to him, and he just hangs in there. And I just let me oh, get into it now. Should we just skip to the pizza bit. I feel like that's yeah. Let's that's, talk about pizza. Let's all right, let's skip to the Peter pizza. Peter Gale. Let's do that. Okay. Peter so for, first of all, we should clarify this episode right here, right now. This is just about the first book. We are going yes. to be continuing. This is going to be a series. Um, for the sake of argument, this is just the first book. And Peter Orgale in the first book is a lot harder than over the whole series. Yes. I would also like to clarify, we will be sticking to just the first book, hopefully. Yes. We, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this about us, but we have a tendency to go off track. Ramble? <laughs> <laughs> so we're trying to stick to the first book. That's today's challenge. So I think Gail in the first book, I was pretty close to Team Gail, actually. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's hard because I read them in such quick succession that there wasn't, you know, I wasn't waiting for the next book to come out. And I wasn't like, oh, you know, Team Gail, all that sort of stuff. But I think in the first book, he really represents like Katniss's like autonomy and her um, her sense of self and like everything that she would choose and that she wants. Um, yeah. So I feel like in the first book, he's he's a good choice for her, and he's really understanding. He takes care of her family. He's kind. He's you know a bit grumpy, but people are. I would be grumpy if I was starving. I don't know about you. Um, yeah. I mean, like, oh, I regularly also, am. I'm not even starving, but like I get right now. I actually am quite grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think Gail is a really interesting character, and I think Suzanne Collins just like nails it. And we'll get into that later with the way his character develops. But yeah, I think there's two moments in the first film for me with Gail. No, one of them's in the second. There's one. Moment one moment. <laughs> one moment. You're only having one. Um, that made me think, like, oh, what a great guy. Mm-hmm. And it's when Katniss volunteers for primitive briefing. Spoiler alert. Um, God, I hope Carolyn's not listening. <laughs> um, and he volunteers for Kat. Uh, oh, that would be a plot twist. Katniss volunteers yeah. for Prim at the briefing. And Prim is screaming her head off, trying to get up onto the stage, like trying to get through the peacekeepers. And it's a complete scene and you just know she shouldn't be doing that and she's going to get herself in trouble. And Gail just walks up, picks her up and walks off with her. And it's just like one of those moments where like he just does what needs to be done. Yeah. And he knows what needs to be done and he knows what Katniss needs done and he just does it. And he fills those gaps in a really beautiful way, I think. And that's that's my thing with Gail is he really understands where Katniss has come from. And the issues yeah. with Gail and with his relationship with Katniss arise when they no longer have come from the same thing. Like when they've gone through such different experiences. Later books, which we shall get to in, in another day. 
but yeah. I think in the first book he understands like you know if that had been my brother I would have done exactly the same thing and I would have expected yeah. Katniss to come and do this and um he has her back in a way that no one else does in the beginning exactly. you know no one else is there for her in the same way her mom's not there for her her dad isn't there for her like you know he has to be there for Prim yeah so he's obviously not in a role that's yeah. meant to be there for her yeah he's the only one that gets that responsibility and gets that like that need yeah and I think there's a really interesting parallel um between actually I have two things I want to say one I also think that we see that I've just got too many words. Um, <laughs> I also think it's really interesting because we all think about it from Katniss's position of she's grown apart from him mm-hmm. and she no longer wants him. But I think as well, like, there's got to be a part of Gail that when he sees Katniss go through this entire, like, games on screen, this love affair with Peter, there has to be a part of him in some moment that doesn't want her as much as he used to, like, that's hurt, like, you know, okay. and I think we always think of Katniss as hurting, but I think there's definitely, you know, Gail's as hurt as she is. There's that bit in the film, like, it's just, like, a 30-second long scene of, um, which I love. I swear, okay, we have to, haven't actually got notes in the film, but I feel like we, we can talk about the film, because I have thoughts. I'm ready. But, but there's a scene in the film where, like, Katniss and Peter are about to kiss, and then it zooms out, and it's showing that on, like, a screen in District 12. First of all, brilliant, because it takes you out. It reminds you that the game's a show. Brilliant. Anyway, secondly, um, you see Gail, like, turn away from the screen and be like, oh, my God, I can't watch this. And you actually see that, like, this is really traumatic for him as well. And, like, a different kind of drama, you know, it's, it's not the same. But he's watching this girl that he loves. He knows that she's lying and he knows that what she's having to do and what she's having to, like, you know, essentially sell herself to win does something. I think does he does. He I think he sees through it. I think that's why he hates it so much. I think if he genu- if she genu- if he knew that she genuinely loved Peter, I think he would be able to kind of let it go a bit more. But I think because he knows it's all a game, he's like, stop feeding into it. Like, stop letting them win. And he, that's what annoys him more than anything is he feels like she's betraying their rebellion and, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think as well I really love that scene because the whole way through, Gail has to be a rock. Yeah, like, he's a rock for his family. He's a rock when like, and even in that moment when he picks up Prim and walks mm-hmm. away, you know that he wants to be screaming as well. Yeah, but he has to do what he has to do. Yeah. Um, and so I love that moment because you get the brief. You don't even see any emotion on his face really, but you mm-hmm. know what he's feeling. Like you, you can tell. It's amazing. Um, but I think there's also a really interesting like parallel between Peter and Gail that I was thinking about when you were saying like he's the only one who like is there for Katniss and when Peter throws her the bread like you know ages back when she's starving and she's on like the brink of like dying yeah true we see that parallel on the games day when Gail brings her the bread and she's like oh my god is this real where'd you get this Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting like setup of like both of them are trying to help her and always trying to look after her but for Gail it seems to be at a I actually, I don't know. I was going to say it for Gail, it seems to be at a greater expense, but then I thought maybe, I don't know, Peter went through a beating for, like, to give her that bread, so I don't know. Yeah. Like, I think for Peter, you know, he, he had clearly had a, a bit more of an affluent upbringing than Katniss. Yeah. So it's very different. For him, it, I wouldn't say it was charity, but it was definitely, like, helping you out and, like, 
giving you something to help you get through but for Gail I feel like it's you know we're in this together and we're you know let's share this rather than like let's let me give you this um but then again they were all in district 12 so like when we're talking about more affluent it's just like you know less close to starving like it's not (laughs) it's not great I think that's really interesting Laura because I think that's how Katniss would have seen it yeah exactly exactly. I think that's exactly Katniss's view but I think from Peter's perspective yeah that's not what I think Peter like yeah Peter doesn't really I mean he does though because they don't eat the bakery bread like the whole like thing about Peter is he has this image of like not image but you know like he appears to be like you know healthy and fed and everything but realistically he's strong because he's thrown around sacks of flour yeah and they never get to eat the bakery bread they only get to eat the burnt stuff and the really burnt stuff goes to the pigs and like they eat the stale dale bread and you kind of peel back these layers of like the fact that kind of like the capital has allowed these ideas to be constructed within the village so that they think that Mm-hmm. merchants of the enemy when is reality the merchants are suffering as well just in a different way and it's the yeah. capital who's benefiting whereas like you know they try and set up that rivalry the within the town I, I know who the enemy is that's book two is it oh yeah <laughs> don't remember who the enemy is forget who the enemy is yeah. <laughs> we Probably. don't know who the enemy is yet <laughs> um yeah and I don't, so I, though, it's, like it's it they pin them against each other and they make it a sense of the merchants and the seam and if you're in the seam you stick with people in the seam and if you're in the merchant you know it's that like separating them so that they're easier to pin against each other they're easier to control that's completely right i hadn't thought of that and classically what does peter do doesn't care peter i actually i stand i cannot hamish hamish abernathy has a quote and it is, you could live a thousand lifetimes mm-hmm. and not deserve mm-hmm. that boy. Mm-hmm. I had that quote on my wall for a very long time. <laughs> it's still on my wall. <laughs> I still, and I stand by it. I don't think that Peter's intelligence can be underestimated. Yeah. And I think so often he does things in the book that we're like, oh, that was just like, you know, unintentional. Yeah. No, he knew exactly what he was doing. In every moment he was playing the game and he was playing to win. And I think the reason why it comes across like that is because for Katniss, like Katniss watching it, she doesn't believe that someone would care about her enough to do those things for her. So she, because he is playing the game for her, like at very few points does he make a decision for himself. Like maybe just at the beginning of the games, we were talking about this earlier, there's a bit of like a plot, not hole, but a plot um, blind spot. Let's talk about that. If anyone has an answer to this, I'd love to hear it because I've thought about this a lot. In the beginnings, when the games actually begin, and Peter teams up with—I want to call them careers, but that's not what they're like. Careers, it's not how it's it's just careers. I hate. I think that. it's just careers. Careers, <laughs> careers just sounds weird. Um, but he teams up with them in the beginning and like leads the careers straight to her, and it's just like I can't ever understand why he did that. The idea of watching the film. And this might have been like the films trying to like, you know, put a twist on that narrative. I got the idea that he accidentally led them to Katniss, that it was like a, oh, she's this way. Oh, fuck, she's actually this way. Like, I didn't think that she would be here. (laughs) Could you imagine that? Where you're like, oh, she's, you know, she's over here. Oh my God, she's actually here. Um, Worst distraction ever. (laughs) I also think there's definitely a moment, I think, because it's right after 
that day at training where Katniss tells Peter like throw that sack and like show not the sack but like the big weight and show them how strong you are and show them that you're a threat and he does that and then just after that is when he um says he wants to train separately from her and he's trying to separate himself from her and I think at that point he realizes oh maybe I do have a shot of winning this and maybe I do have a way out and I don't think he ever commits to the idea of like killing Katniss or letting Katniss die but I think as a 17 year old boy he was probably like oh my god maybe I could do this and maybe I can get out but then I feel like that's a really interesting twist and I wish that if that's you know what Suzanne Collins wanted to happen why wouldn't that have been explored more I don't know yeah in my in my opinion that's not Peter's nature yeah I don't I don't don't think there's a part of Peter that and I think I mean we talked about this like you and me talked about it the other day um about that moment where Peter tells Katniss that his mum or his dad said to him you know we might finally have a victor Mm. this year and they weren't talking about Peter they were talking about Katniss like I don't think Peter had high hopes of getting out of there and so my only explanation for that moment and also I think the whole like accidentally led them to her is like I said I don't underestimate his intelligence like I always assume he knew um and there's a moment in this I don't know if it's in the film or in the books where they say like are you sure it's this way and he's like yeah that was her snare he knows that he Um, knows it's her snare like yeah yeah, yeah. uh, so he definitely knew where she was my only thought process is he needed there, like he needed to find her and yeah. he knew he wasn't going to survive long enough to find her if he didn't have allies. Yeah. And he was using her as a way to get to her. And he hadn't and he also, gotten any further than getting to her. And when he got to I her and think, then he was like, oh, no. I don't think at any point he underestimated her. I think in his mind she would be very able to fight off a pack of careers. Like, I think he, which is maybe not like, okay, like maybe his intelligence was a little bit blinded because like she does, but like what are the odds? The only moments I doubt Peter's intelligence is when it comes to his love for Katniss. And I think that's one of those moments. I think that's just like, oh, she'll be fine. She's really good. (laughs) And then maybe he was like, well, she's not going to hunt out the careers. So if like, if I just kind of lead them to her and she just happens to kill them, like she's closer to getting home. She doesn't even have a bow, Peter. She's got nothing yeah. in this moment. All she has is a knife. <laughs> and they've what got like she every need, single weapon. Oh. <laughs> I've, I've never understood that bit. I've read it so many times. Yeah, I, I just have never been able to come up with an explanation that I think stands up to all of it. It makes sense amongst all of it. Um, but yeah. And I thought, like, I reread it really recently and I was like, maybe I just, like, didn't get it when I was younger. And then I read it again and was like, nope, still don't get it. I definitely found, actually, the writing of The Hunger Games is very, it's very, very good. I'm not saying it's not good, but I was a bit stupid. (laughs) And we've also established a few (laughs) times on the show, I'm not a very good reader. Like, I'm not very good at reading. (laughs) And I always Which is why we did a show on books. Yeah, yeah. That's why I chose to study English. (laughs) Um, I find it, yeah, I found it really hard reading the books at like, you know, 11, 12 to figure out what they were, like what she was describing and like what was happening on the page. Mm -hmm. So all the time, whenever I go back to them, I do go like, oh, that's what, like, I get that now. And like watching the films was like, oh, (laughs) I get it. Um, Yeah, it it was a bit weird. I found it quite tricky. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Sh- I don't know that I had that 
I mean, not to have a crack at you, but I was fully capable of reading them. So, like, why couldn't you be? Like, come on, step up. To the plate. Um, but, yeah, I kind of get that. I think, and I think I was saying this to you the other day, Laura, but Suzanne Collins doesn't want to hand anything to you. You know, she's yeah. not Stephanie Meyer, she's not Cassandra Clare, and she's definitely not J.K. Rowling. She wants you to dig. Yep. She wants she you also- to have to think about it. She wants you to realise there's layers here. Yeah, she also has been very good in not doing the J.K. Rowling thing of like trying to defend and control and limit her text once it's been out there. Like the amount of really insensitive Hunger Games fan fictions and like, oh my god, like people people don't really think about what the book is. You know, it's definitely like a a war text, and it's definitely like quite a Political. serious thing. And people will write like. Candace and Peter having a baby in the capital and like I don't know weird stuff you um, would not believe the amount of high school AUs there are yeah. of like yeah. Peter, Katniss, Joanna, Finnick all play spin the bottle <laughs> like, yeah. cool. it's like what book did you read and she's been yes, very dude. good at like knowing she wrote a book for young adults and young adults are going to do that sometimes they're going to take the book and not fully get what is going on and what's the greater picture because I definitely went through a phase where like you know I read a book and I was like I just want to read about these characters in normal life because yeah. I really love them but then you get older and you're like oh actually it went a lot deeper than that and like maybe that wasn't the right move so I think she's been very good at like letting go and knowing that her readers would come back to her and knowing like having enough she's very good at that I love is that she has a lot of like trust and like belief in her readers to find these things and even when they go and like do silly things like you know writing really what's the word like insensitive fan fiction she knows that they'll come back to it and they'll figure it out and they'll get there and I, I think that's really nice I like it when people trust especially teenage girls with yes with important things and she hopes that like one day when they're like 20 years old they will make a podcast show about it yeah and understand yeah um I think it's also really interesting, though, because I have always felt that The Hunger Games doesn't lend itself very well to fan fiction. Yeah, I agree. And I think there is a solid magic of Suzanne Collins in that, that she never stopped Mm -hmm. us. She never did anything that tried to hinder our ability to write fan fiction. But we Mm -hmm. realised, and when I say we, I actually haven't written any Hunger Games fan fiction. It's on the to-do list. I haven't got there yet. I'll get there one day. Um, (laughs) But I think... That's a lie. I've got a chapter. <laughs> um, I think it's a really like interesting thing because the second you take those characters out of the world they're in, they lose their like characterness. I, also, I think it was kind of a magic thing she did that they were like inextricable yeah. from this world because this world has shaped them and that's her point. I said this to you the other day, like when when you think of something like the mortal instruments, like if I told you Jace Wayland, describe Jace in three words, easy. It's like, yep, go. Arrogant. Eyes us. Oh, there yeah. you go. Easy, because that's his character. But like all the characters in the Hunger Games are very subtle and very like they're very well rounded, and you know, like you know, it's like it's like you saying like Peter wouldn't do that. Like you know what Peter would do, and you know what he's like. But like I couldn't describe him fully in three words. There's a lot more going on than that, and I think also so much of their characters are shaped by the kind of the extreme trauma that's going on. Yes. So it's like when you take them out of that it just doesn't really make sense anymore and Candace just seems like yeah, a, you know exactly. a bitch and it's like <laughs> I don't know it just doesn't and really think, make sense I think it's kind of really interesting like what we were saying about how she writes 
she writes to her highest audience. Yeah. And it's, but it's okay if you're not her highest audience. Yeah. Because you know what I mean? Like there. she writes for yeah. someone who can understand everything. But if you can only understand the fact that they're like in love or the fact that they're trying to kill each yeah. other, like it's still a good book. Um, yeah. And I like think and it's really interesting because you see, like, I stand yes. by that. So go yes. on. <laughs> and I think it's amazing because, like, I used to follow a lot of fan accounts. And there used to always be these, like, um, you know, these super, super, like, um, reductive, like, edits that are, like, like, do you love, you know, are you into the kind one? And they flash up Peter's face or, like, the, like, the determined one and they flash up Gail. And it was just this, like, exactly what you were saying, like, they put one word to it. But when mm-hmm. you actually think about Peter and when you actually think, did I say Gail was furious? Determined. What did I, I said say? Determined, I think. Yeah, well, that wasn't the right one, but you know, I've had it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And but when you actually look at it, Peter's not kind. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's only really kind to Katniss. No, I think he's kind in general. Yeah. Find me. Yeah, I suppose. I think he's he's kind because he knows kind is important yes. and helpful. Yes. And, and he's kind to yes. the right people. Yes. Um, but I think we also then like we like. The more you think about it, you realize Peter's actually quite calculated, and you realize Gail is less calculated. Yeah, and all these things that you want to put them in a box as you can't do it, and it's just amazing that she can write these characters that you cannot whittle them down to anything. They're not tropes. Mm-hmm. They're not stereotypes. They're yeah, real exactly. people who have been shaped by trauma and an oppressive government and all those factors. And I think it's amazing. Yeah, I really it it hurts it hurts my heart that she hasn't. I know she I know she's read more. She's written more than just The Hunger Games. And I've not read anything else apart from Hunger Games, I'll be honest. But I want her to like get into like TV and film, and I want her to get into like I she's just so good, like genuinely is so 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 good that it's like oh I I, was, I just want more from her, and I want those characters in more than just books because I feel like a lot of times books aren't the most accessible thing, and I think in the films, I mean the films are still very good. I actually really like the films, but they aren't as good as the books I mean like you know and I I want I want her influence in in that side of things a bit more yeah I think yeah I think she would have done a better film if she had had full yeah well I think because I think that sorry you go my my point was ridiculous you know if yours is relatively relevant say it because I'm about to take this in a different direction it's not I was gonna say it reminds me of the perks of being a wallflower um Stephen oh Stephen Shabats no that's Robin Shabatsky I can't remember his last name um the author of the book also like directed and wrote the film and it's so good and that's always the I just I mean obviously not all authors are going to be good directors and producers and that's completely fine but I think she would have been and I think she would have done a similar thing and it just would have been better yeah I think she just had a vision and I think we know that yeah. like yeah um but I think as well there is a deep deep irony in the entire Hunger Games franchise because she's writing this book about how like also if you're looking at your notes Laura we are so off no topic. I'm not there is like this like the whole book is about this idea of like using a love affair to cover up the deeper inconsistencies and in um, justices that an entire um, government like perpetuates right so the idea of like the Hunger Games is like look at this love story they're in love forget that yeah. we're killing them forget that everyone is starving 
forget that snow does whatever he wants all the time. Like forget everyone suffering. Look at them. They're in love. And that's what the book is about. Mm. And then the movie comes out and they're like, oh, look at them. They're in love. And it's yeah. just like, oh, my God, you guys missed the point completely, didn't you? Like the entire the entire point. And then when the whole like, I mean, I know we just did it, but we had to. When the whole Peter versus Gail thing like comes out, it's like that was her point. The point is we are always going to be distracted by the Peter versus Gail thing and we're never going to stand up and fight because we're happy and, you know, loved up. I love applying that um, to Twilight as well. Just, you know, mm. why not? But like the right. like using the love triangle to like slyly put in some like Mormon propaganda, and it's like, look at this yeah. love triangle convert. <laughs> but like, yeah. look at them, <laughs> and it's the same I thing. Think, yeah. Well, I think you know. Yeah, I think it's really amazing because that's a really good comparison. Because Stephanie Myers was doing it with like she was employing the, the technique that Suzanne Collins. What's the word when you try to like subliminal messaging? Yeah, yeah. But intentional. Yeah. Whereas Collins's yeah. subliminal messaging was that there is subliminal messaging. Yeah. She was like Collins was like subverting it. She was trying to yeah. point it out. Like she was trying to like make it really obvious what was going on. Um yeah. and Stephanie Meyer was very successful at doing that. It works. <laughs> I read them all. I talk about them all the time. I don't know if you guys have noticed or picked up on that, but I talk about them a lot. Um I had the funniest thing today. I was in the car with Jemima, um, who is my friend. Um, and I was like, oh, like, are you excited for tonight's show? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, guess what the topic is? It's a good one. And she was like, Twilight? And I was like, no, better. <laughs> I was like, no, better. And she immediately goes, oh, Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> that is the thing, actually. So we've been scared to talk about the Hunger Games, but we were so excited to talk about Twilight. Because for both of us, it's like, yeah, we love Twilight, but I'm like, on a level of irony like there, there's a level of like this is really bad but like it's just such a beautiful horrible thing um but the hungry games is just really good like it's just really 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 good from beginning yeah. to end it's clever it's mature it's interesting it's good it's good i think i really like talking about twilight with you like because I enjoy everything you have to say and i feel like i learn more about twilight when we talk about it uh, i do the hunger games the Hunger Games, I kid you not, I had been thinking about this book since the first time I read it when I was 12. And like, <laughs> I still have, I was, was I telling you, I was telling you or someone else. Yeah. Like, I me. still have like moments like where I like wake up in the night and can't sleep and I just run through like the plot of the Hunger Games and like, was that right? And is that what that was about? And, and like, I've got like a notebook by my bed that just has stuff like Peter, baby, question mark. And like, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, what was I thinking? What was going on like, there? Oh, that's that's a Catching Fire episode. Yeah. Can we talk yeah. about the film, actually? We, we don't have any notes on the film, so it could go in any direction. I, like, shock, okay, so Catching Fire is the best film. We Everyone in the world can agree on that. But I really, really like the first film. I think it's really good. And everyone always makes fun of the shaky cameras and, like, it's a bit unsettling and dodgy. But I like it. I think it's good. I think it's interesting. I like it. There we go. I have a really um unsure stance on the first film because I think it was really good like I liked the camera work I, I think it had a blue tint as well I quite like that or at least the reaping scene did start but I hope it I think does the reaping scene had a blue tint I'm oh, not so of that I love um, it yeah um and 
<laughs> Jemima tells me she's like it was objectively the best film, the first one, and I, and then yeah. I was like, what? And she was like, well, Catching Fire had the best cinematography, but yeah. the first film is just as a whole the best. Um, well, I think, and I don't, yeah, I don't I really know that, because I, yeah, I think that the first film in any series is always going to be the best on a level because it can stand alone and because it can. Like the first Harry Potter, you can watch the first Harry Potter and you just watch that and it's great. Same with, I mean, Twilight's a different story. The first film is just objectively the only <laughs> thing that's even close to good. But yeah. I think in this one, like if you aren't, I mean, not that Jemima's not super into the Hunger Games, but I think, I feel like if you're, if, if I was going to introduce someone to the Hunger Games, I would show them the first one. Because if you're going straight into the second one, like I feel like that's what she's getting at. It's like in your viewing experience, the first one's like the most straightforward and like, the most self-contained and gives you the most to think about because it's not part of a bigger picture. But the second one, just just for the plot, if you haven't watched the first one or the last ones, it's like where, like what happened? Where are we going? What's going on? And it's like confusing What's and tricky. And, but I think as a film, I think it's much better. But I also think that's because it had a much better budget. So like, you know, I yeah, I think the budget was a lot better. Um, I have a few things from the first film that I didn't love that in the second film was just so much better. Um, I think my issue with the first film was that it wasn't close enough to our world. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It was very cartoonish. Within it, it, yeah, and it was like every trinket with like this perfectly powder pink face and this yeah, like garish, 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 lovely dress. Um, I know the word, but I can't think of it. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I don't know. Um, we'll put it down to accent differences. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um I think like. And she just stood out so bleakly against this reaping. And, like, I think it showed a world that wasn't possible for us. As in not possible, but, like, wasn't within reach. Whereas I think the second, I think Catching Fire showed this world that I was like, oh, this is scarily accurate. Like, this is kind of what we, yeah, it feels real and it feels reachable. Like, we could end up here. And so it felt more, I think it got the political message a little bit um, closer, like, a little bit closer I think it hit closer to home and got the political yeah. message across better Definitely. the other thing which is just a me thing is I loved in the second film how all of like the capital outfits were actually runway outfits yeah like Effie's butterfly dress was on the runway that year yeah and we start to see and again that's the similar point of like being a part of this world like we see our own influence in that world and how close we are to it do you know what I also loved in the second film that I thought was very, very good. And I was very glad they did. So like in the Twilight films, between the first and the second film, they change lots of things like the hair and the eyes and the other thing of the vampires. And so there's there's not a continuity. And like you watch, you go from the first one to the second one, it's like annoying. Um, Bella's wig. Oh, wait. Is that not the same? No, that's Eclipse. Oh, oh Bella's wig. <laughs> Let's not bring that up. Um, but then in the, in, in the Hunger Games, you know, the first film, so I actually I can't remember where I this might have been made up this might be a full lie but I read somewhere that they they spent a ridiculous amount of their budget on casting because they knew it was going to be a series so they were like we're going to get in people that are going to carry this all the way through and so everything else was kind of you know back burner and all the technology all of the like special effects and stuff wasn't necessarily the best that it could have been and then Catching Fire instead of like just going completely away from that and having the peacekeepers dressing in completely different outfits or like the train being completely different technology they kept it all consistent so you can watch the first one to the second one and be like oh it looks so much better in the second one but it's still the same thing 
Like, yes, I don't know if that's such a nitpicky thing, but it really, really annoys me. And they do it in so no. many films. Like, like just, you know, suddenly characters have a completely different actor playing them. And it's like, like, why did this happen? It really annoys me. I can't handle it. I, I, need, to, I need to stop no, talking I, now. I completely agree. I like, I think it's such an arrogant thing as a director to do that, to mm-hmm. come in and be like, no, the person who went before me isn't good enough. We're yeah, changing like, everything. I'm going to put my mark on it now. And it's like, I don't care about your mark. I don't care. I'm exactly. sorry. <laughs> like, I understand that directors want to believe that their films are for art, etc. But when you're making a blockbuster film, your yep. film is for the fans. Yep, yep, yep. And like, give the fans what they don't even know they want, but don't like talk down to them. Don't make them feel like this is about you as a director, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, 100%. Mm. And it's, yeah, and it just takes you out of the world. And that's not a world that you want to be taken out of like the hunger games should feel real and like it's fine you know in, in harry potter when like flitwick changes act not actor but like you know makeup and act um outfit and stuff and goes from like an old man to a young man that's kind of fine because like it's harry potter and it doesn't feel real anyway and it's like a million miles away but this should feel real this should feel like something very present like you're saying like the the outfits changing to runway outfits feels more real and it feels closer to us mm-hmm that's kind of the point this shouldn't feel like something a million miles away this should feel like something that's happening like on our doorstep it's just I think the amazing thing about it is it's just an exaggerated so like we don't wear runway outfits yeah but in a hundred years maybe we would like you know like we don't have inked gold tattoos or like eyelashes that are like that long but it's something that already has a seed in our culture because it's Mm -hmm. on the runway and that yeah. influences our culture. And yeah, we're not as dramatic as that yet, but we could very easily get there. It's also very eerie seeing things from your time and your culture in such mm-hmm. an extreme place. And it really does make you go like, oh, there's pieces of us and there's pieces of yeah. who we are and what we're doing as a society in that. And that is unsettling and like uncanny and eerie, which is exactly what she's trying to do. Yeah. And it's very and good. That like leads me into the whole... Um, the tribute parade, Caesar Flickerman. Mm. I think oh, all of Flickerman. those things, uncanny, right? He's Brilliant. amazing. Also, can way- I just say, Stanley Tucci's performance, underrated. Underrated. Oh. It was so like, good. And, like, he, like, he had this energy that if you told me he was going to put on that character and do a talk show every night, I would watch it. Do you because watch- he just captured that, like, that yeah. feeling of trusting a presenter. Yes. You know, like, like I want to say James Corden, but, you know, not even like he was on another level than that, but that feeling of just, like, trusting them implicitly. Graham Norton. Do you watch Graham Norton in Australia? I know the Yes. Yeah. Uh, we don't watch it, but, yeah. yeah, I know the name. I've seen it, yeah. It, that's what it reminds me of. Like, yeah. and it's, it's, it's creepy, but it's so good. Like, it's so good. And, like, oh, oh. I mean, it's going into catching fire territory, but that moment where... No, do, says, do not. We're saving that for later. Okay, okay, okay. Don't you dare. Okay. Do you know what does oh, annoy me, actually? Sorry, this is a really nitpicky thing. You know how um, the order that they all go in to do things changes to suit the plot? I don't, that's the one thing I really don't like. And I understand that she, she had to do it, and I respect Which... her for making that hard call. So, like, when they're doing... Um, what's it called when like they they present their skills to the game makers and they get their score um, yeah they 
that in that oh, yeah, one, Peter goes first. Peter goes first yeah. But for the interviews, Katniss goes first because it's more yeah. convenient for the plot. Yeah, I get that. I think there was a reason, but I don't know what it was. Like, I think she justified it with something. Yeah. Um, it always annoyed me. It was always like, I get it. Something because... about the dress. Anyway, I don't know. There was definitely a reason, though. I um, get it because, like, it's worth in the long run for me. Like, yeah. what it adds to the plot is worth it. And the fact that it comes back and catching fire, very good. But um, it always just, it, that's, it is a testament to how good her writing is that that's the, the yeah. level of thing that annoyed me. But, you know, it's such a minor Rewrite issue. the books. Start again. <laughs> <laughs> Put cats yeah, no, first. I totally agree. Um, I agree with that. I want to I wanna trust in Suzanne Collins that there is a legitimate universal reason that that happened. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I there is, but it also just doesn't make sense that there would be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm just so nitpicky. Well, in my opinion, the girl's hair and clothes and makeup has been done and is ready, and the second a girl's hair, clothes and makeup is done and ready, you want to get her straight out. That's my thought. I also just don't imagine that the capital would care enough. That's like, Yeah, and like, why would it be different for the for the presenting to the game makers I just feel like they would always have a set order of when everything like the order of when people would go up because they see they don't you know they're just numbers they're like oh you go then you go then you go I don't know I'm definitely reading into it too much but I have such a problem with these books I'm genuinely thinking about rereading them just to figure out why they do that yeah no I might (laughs) I might I'm considering it um yeah me too um Oh, I was going to say something then. Oh, the other thing I love about Caesar Flickerman and his character, like, you know, um, in the film and the book, is how he's always trying to help the tributes. Like, in the first book, when we see him, like, trying to, like, make Peter desirable and be like, oh, like, got a girl at home. And, like, he's always, in every interview, he's working his absolute hardest to make them likeable and give them yeah. what they need to survive the arena in the most of his like capabilities which I think is a really interesting thing for um the capital people as a whole like we think about the prep team who do the same thing they get them dressed as ready as pretty Effie does her absolute damnedest um Sinna like yeah gives his all gives oh no that's book two (laughs) his absolute all to try and like (laughs) um to try and make them both winners and I think yeah. it's this amazing idea of like, are they still in the wrong? Because well, they are sending these kids off for slaughter, or are they doing what they can in the position they're in? I have thoughts on it because I, I think, especially Effie and the makeup team in the first book alone, it's not about we want to make Katniss win so that Katniss survives and like doesn't die. It's like, wouldn't it be exciting if we were on the winning team? Wouldn't it be exciting if like we were the ones that got to do that? And I think you see that change and you see that really shift. And I think what Suzanne Collins does is very, very clever is, you know, this is all very allegorical and she could have easily demonized these characters in the capital. She could have easily been like, these are evil people that are bad and like, you know, they epitomize everything that's wrong, but she makes them real people so that, you know, you can see bits of yourself in that character, especially reading it as, you know, kind of a middle-class white person you see that and you go, oh my God, do I do that? Like when people are, you know, not not in that extreme situation, but in situations. Did I get someone ready for murder? What? Did I? Did I send someone <laughs> off to die? But like you, you really do get that. Like, oh my God, am I that ignorant? Like am I that 
And I think that's so clever because it doesn't alienate your reader and it doesn't make the reader go, well, I'm, I'm nothing like that and I'm, not, I'm nothing to do with that, um, which is just really, really, really clever. It's good. And I think it also introduces this idea that you can be doing your best and I don't know, it's a weird thing of like you can be doing your best and that's good enough, but it's also not yeah. enough. Yeah. Like, does that make sense? And it's this idea of like, I understand you're trying and that's fantastic but it's still not enough to save these people and to help. And like, and I, I was saying this to you earlier more. as well, that I think the idea that the makeup team and Effie and everyone, that's um, Caesar, can like have this separation and then be so emotionally invested in like, you know, missing Katniss and fearing for Katniss. I think there's, there's a fact that, that they, they are capable of that emotion. They are capable of seeing Katniss as a human being who's going to die and that's scary and sad, but they are able to switch it off initially. I think that that is kind of the scariest thing because, you know, these are good people, but they are very, very able to be complicit in all of these children being murdered. And what do we call that? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> yes. And I exactly. think it's such a brilliant thing because we do it every single day yeah exactly and like I don't actually think that Collins is like advocating for like hypervigilance and you need to be worried about the situation in the world every single day yeah because I think we all know and like especially over the past year we've learned that that's not even possible because by day four you'll be like never mind I want out yeah um because there's that many things going on around the world but I think what she is saying is like I don't want you to wake up every day about this worried. But I want you to, when you're looking at the press and when you're seeing the news and when you're watching these things happen firsthand, secondhand, whatever it is, I want you to be able to see how they are distracting you from the real issues. And I yeah. want you to be able to understand what is making this happen and what your role in, is in it, whether you like it or not. And also how easy it is to fall into that trap. Yeah. How easy it is to be that ignorant and how easy it is to like step back from it and see it and you know, try not to play into it. Mm. I lost you for a second there, but do you think it's easy? Do you think Collins is suggesting that it's easy to step back? I don't think she's saying it's easy to step back, but I think she's saying once you step back, it's very clear and it's very obvious and it's very in your face. Like someone like Sinna, you know, who was born in the capital, grew up there, but has this kind of ability to think critically and to see past it and has maybe like found some rebel information or you know whatever um and once he sees that it's really really clear who like how badly everyone's behaving and how badly everyone's treating Katniss it's really really obvious to him so Mm -hmm. I think I think what she's saying is like you know it's so easy to fall into that trap and it's the way you are socialized and the way you are brought up but once you see it you will not unsee it and it's there and it's in your face and it's really obvious yeah yeah I like I yeah I agree I definitely I don't know I think she I just think she's amazing (laughs) I think she just created a masterpiece and she created so many levels I could talk about it for another 10 episodes um (laughs) I just think should we just do next semester like just the hungry well that's well I was gonna do my dissertation on it so that'd be really great prep yeah that'd be exciting yeah they say to not do your dissertation on something you love, but uh Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. I would kind of love to do it on Twilight, but I also feel like it's just gonna fight a losing battle, you know? 
<laughs> I think I'd be interested just to do it on like young adult lit in general. Um, mm. but yeah, do you I don't know. I think adult lit? not really, but like I'd be interested to know more. I just want to like you know delve into it a little bit. Never like really read any. You know, I'm really like I just like like nonfiction informative. Um, mm. memoirs and stuff and like biographies and like science books yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Shakespeare I love Shakespeare big fan King Lear. <laughs> stop tempting me oh. <laughs> but yeah no I think she's incredible and I think I don't know I would really I all I ever want to do is talk about Peter but I think it's that that moment when like this is totally irrelevant but I just want to talk about it the moment with the berries. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I've got to say. I want to hear your thoughts. I think <laughs> I even, okay, reading it emotionally distraught past, like, any, any semblance of sanity. But yep. even just watching the film, every time I watch it, I get this, I find it really emotional. Like, the music playing and the way it's set. And I think, okay, my only issue with the film, actually not my only issue with the film, but in the casting of Katniss and Peter, I wish that they'd cast actual 17-year-olds. I really wish they had because I think that that would have hit so much harder, like seeing two teenagers be like, well, this is, this is all we've got. And two teenagers having to make their lives into political statements, which they do anyway, even though they get stopped and they don't eat the berries. They, they might as well have eaten the berries for the plan that the capital oh, yeah. kind of had laid out for them, you know? Um, I think it's very, very, I, I love it. And I think it's good symbolism. I like that it comes back so frequently. I like that it becomes a political symbol. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I enjoy it. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I have just in this moment realized that I'm pretty sure that is where my trust issues come from. Oh, because <laughs> not that they're that big, but. Um, we have like two minutes left. So like, that's yeah, I know, I'm going to make it real fast. Therapy <laughs> session. Um, I think there's that moment in the film where um, the cannon goes off, Cato's dead. She's just yeah. shot him in the head because she had to to put him out of his misery. Yeah. And the cannon goes off, and like Peter and Cat and the mutts go away, and Peter and Katniss just both like look at each other. And Peter's leg is like gone, and like they're both like covered in blood, and they just look at each other, and she just like pulls him into her, and it's just this moment of like utter relief and disbelief, and like like how did this even had how like mm-hmm. we're going home? That's insane. And then we have that 360 that just every time I watch it makes me just feel sick where he's like, by the way, we've decided no. The way that he says it as well is so sickening. Unfeeling, uncaring, like, hey, this should be fun. Like, it's sickening. Um, And I just think it's just this wonderful, not wonderful, that is the wrong adjective. But the way, like, it's a wonderful message of, like, you are not ever going to win. Yeah, you are never and, going to win. Yeah. All you can ever try and do is survive. And I think it is a very good, like, allegorical message for systemic oppression, systemic abuse yeah. in that way. Because it's like when someone is literally controlling the game and has the ability to go. By the way, you don't actually get to win. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's so clever. It's so so clever. It's so yeah. devastating. And even when like Snow says, like, if he had any brains, he would have blown him sky high right there. Yeah, and that's when you know. Like, they're just never going to win. Yeah. All right, Laura, pass it on. 
maybe yeah yes i would (laughs) (laughs) yes i would i would i would what about you uh no peter's mine (laughs) they never have to know the pain he's mine i'm not sharing (laughs) no absolutely passing on um i just i just think you're never too young to realize how how terrible society can be for people yeah yeah yeah, you're never too young to realize the world's a bad place. <laughs> Honestly, the sooner the better. Just, just figure it out. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna get <laughs> the second there, but one, I'm gonna be like, here, read this. <laughs> work it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I Alrighty. think that's us. We finished kind of on time today. Well done. And I don't think we mentioned any second, third film things. Well, only briefly. <laughs> don't bring it up now. Just pretend we didn't. I don't um. Enjoy the single song we're going to play. I feel like <laughs> everyone knows what song it should be, or at least I do. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift again. This is Safe and Sound. Have a lovely week, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Streaming down you